a lot of psychologists would tell you that you know everybody is seeking pleasure for happiness and the reality is i think people are seeking purpose and so for me my businesses are my purpose they they are the thing that gives me purpose like and that's one of the beautiful things about business welcome everyone to the ultimate shift join ephraim glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? So today, welcome back to The Ultimate Shift. We have uh, Brian Clayton today, and I guess you are what we would call a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm so excited about this, this story. So, well, first off, right now, you have, is it Green Dot? Green Pal. Green Pal. So you went from starting a landscape company, growing that, selling it, and I want to catch that story, to now you run basically the Uber of lawn care. Yes, that's a good way to describe it, yeah. That's, that's awesome. So let's just dive in. Where did your uh, journey begin? Where did it start? How old were you when you realized that you want to start working for yourself? Yeah, luckily I was forced into entrepreneurship kicking and screaming by my father who got my butt off the couch on a hot summer day and said, hey, get off your ass. We got, we got a job to do. We're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And he forced me to go cut the neighbor's grass. He actually helped me. And uh, he, we made $20. We split it. And at the end of that summer, I had like five people in the neighborhood I was mowing grass for. And it's something about just being able to uh, work for myself and make as much money as I wanted to make. It really just stuck with me. And I'll never forget there was a pair of soccer cleats I wanted to buy. And my, my parents wouldn't buy them for me. And so I mowed grass to buy my, my pair of soccer cleats that I wanted. So um, it was just something that like being able to kind of just earn as much money as I wanted to as, and, and work as hard as I wanted to work. It was just something that just stuck with me in those early years. And uh, fast forward, I, I just cut grass all through high school, uh, all through college. And by the time I graduated college, I had to make a decision. Was I going to go get a job somewhere and take a pay cut or was I just going to stick with this grass cutting gig? And luckily, I just I made a business plan and uh, and I executed over a five year period of time uh, against that plan. And uh, over a 15 year period of time, grew that to over 10 million in sales. Wow. OK, so you said take a pay cut. So. When you got out of college, what did you study in college? Business. And it took me uh, seven years to get through college. Uh, I went nights and weekends and mowed yards during the day. Okay. I would show up the night class with grass all over my <laughs> all over my pants or, or 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 all over my shirt. So, yeah, it was uh, it was very much an exercise of faith and not certainly taste. Uh, but I stuck with school uh, and I stuck with the business. And I, yeah, by the time I graduated school, I probably had four or five people helping me. I was doing a few hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue and I was making a pretty good living off of it. But every dime I would make, I would reinvest back into the business, buying trucks, buying lawnmowers, trying to hire new staff. And it's learning how to grow a business. Cause really, you know, back then we didn't have podcasts like this one. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have online classes. So the really the only way to learn this stuff was just to do it. And, uh, I just stuck with it, um, and luckily I did because I don't have a whole lot of talent. You know, I just stuck with business, and that was the thing that kind of, kind of like, allowed me to chart my own course and make something of myself. What did your your business plan? You said when you got out of college, you kind of made a, a business plan. 
What did that look like? And, and what do you think, if you were to give anyone advice today, if they wanted to start a business plan, what, what are a few fundamental principles or things that you have to have in place for that? Yeah, so it's uh, planning is like one of those necessary things. You don't want to get bogged down too much in it. A lot of people get like analysis paralysis and they'll just plan for years and years and years and never execute anything. So I don't want to over-index on that. But for me, it was very simple. I, I knew I had two or three employees. I was running one crew at the time that I was running and I knew I was doing a certain dollar amount of sales. And I knew if I could just get three of those crews out there and I could manage those three crews, I could get somewhere like around 700 or $800,000 in revenue. I just knew that. And that was the simple plan I laid out. I, I knew that, okay, I've just got to get six more employees and I have to triple the amount of clients that I have. And, and if I can do that, then I'll figure the rest out later. And I kind of like accidentally stumbled into uh, philosophy and business then that I still have to this day, which is like business is almost like a video game. If you just like look at it like levels, almost like Super Mario Brothers, you don't have to worry about level eight, nine or 10. You don't have to worry about Bowser until you get through level one. Like just, just get through that first level. And so it's like, if you're starting a business from scratch, just get those first five customers, get the first $10,000 in revenue. You don't need to think about uh, all of these other high level concepts in, in terms of like building and growing your business until you get to that first level. And so for me, like I was probably on level two or three at the time, I knew, okay, I wanted to like explore this, this idea of duplication and, and, and scale uh, what I had. And so like, I just wanted to get over six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars in revenue, and then I would worry about the rest of the stuff later. And I ended up growing that business over 150 people uh, and 10 million dollars in revenue. And so, little by little, I kind of, I kind of bit off uh, the more of the of the apple, I guess you could say, of of, of growing a business of this size and just scaled it uh, debt free, sustainably over a 15 year period of time. In order to scale a business debt-free at that size, managing that many people, how many years would you say, because this is something that I'm, that I'm very uh, adamant about, is, is putting my money back into the business. But there's so many entrepreneurs I see that, let's say they make their first $100,000 and it's their, their first year, there's that net hundred, whatever, at the end of the year. And they take that and the, and they'll you know start buying cars or, or whatever it may be. I don't know, but how important is it? And how many years would you say, on average, to build something that like you build that you need to keep reinvesting that money back, whether it's into trucks and trailers and, mm, and employees yeah. and things like that? It's a really good question because you're right. It's it's something that a lot of new entrepreneurs, business owners make that mistake. I think what like gets a lot of people stuck in that mindset and what keeps a lot of people from getting started is they don't want to be seen as starting from the bottom. They don't want to be seen at the bottom. They're already comparing the day they started. Right, exactly. And that, that holds a lot of, a lot of people from getting started because they don't want to be seen at the bottom. And then, and then when they, like you said, they get the first hundred K in revenue rather than reinvesting it in the business, um, they, they go out and, and buy things that, that they think that they need or want. And so, I think that if you can make the mental shift in your business and like understand it's going to be five years before you have anything and also understand like you are your business, you, the business is scaffolding around you. And one of my favorite quotes is Mark Cuban. He says, the least you can live on, the greater your options. And so if you can like personally reduce your personal overhead 
and look at every dollar that your business is making and reinvest it, not just spend it. Like I'm not saying like, look at your money, look at your business like a money pit and throw money at it. Like no, reinvest it into equipment that you might need, uh, consultants that you probably need to be hiring to get you to the next level, um, uh, software that you might need to buy, uh, marketing, aid, marketing that you should probably be investing in. Look at it like, okay, this is not, I'm not spending $100 on dinner tonight. I'm, I'm spending $1,000 on dinner tonight because that $100 will turn into $1,000 if I invest it properly in my own business. And you can sit here and look at like the stock market and all kinds of different ways you can invest your money. And the odds are the best ROI for your money getting started in a business is reinvesting it in your own business and your, in yourself, you know, uh, leveling yourself up, under, like trying to learn skills that you're going to need to execute. And so the first three, four, five years, every dime in both businesses I've started and grown to eight figures in revenue, every dime I made went back into the business. And, and really for a very, very long time, it wasn't until you know, year eight, nine or 10 in my landscaping company that I get to really kind of enjoy some of the trappings of success because I was just trying to build the biggest, most successful business in my market that I could. And I wanted to do it debt free and I believe that revenue was the best form of financing. And so I just reinvested every dime I could right back in. And whenever you needed something as far as equipment or some, how did you, let's say you needed another 100K to invest back in the business in the beginning of the year. Was it, how do we make cuts during the year to get that 100K or how do we pick up that 100K extra? Yeah, great question. Um, I have a bias towards the latter. Like how do we grow sales? Um, how do we how do we grow sales this quarter or this year to get this asset we need? And that, and that's one thing about like taking the sustainable approach and debt free approach to growing your business. It forces a discipline into your company that otherwise might not be there. Mm -hmm. And so like you have to really key in on your value proposition, key in on your sales process for how you're going to grow that top line revenue, and and resisting the urge to go take on a a $25,000 credit line or a $250,000 credit line and like looking at, okay, how do we close more sales? Mm -hmm. We're only closing one out of 10 leads. How do we close three? And there's your money. Yeah. And so this, this discipline has then funneled back into the business to make your business better. And so in a weird way, like, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, having to not take on that outside capital, and look at how you're going to grow sales, makes you a better entrepreneur, builds you a better business, and ultimately will, will help you over a long period of time build a business that can be sold. I'm not, I'm not anti-debt. I'm not anti-capital. I think if you're experienced, you can use them to your advantage. But a lot of times, if you're just getting started, that sustainable, slow and low approach usually wins. So as you're growing this thing, you're starting off, how did you stay accountable to, to yourself? Did you have people in place that, that you had as whether they were advisors or mentors or uh, even people you paid as a board to keep you accountable or, or what methods did you use to pretty much stick to your guns? It's a, it's a really good question. Um, I'm a little weird. For me, I'm not the most disciplined and like monotical person, but for me, there was something weird with me that I just wanted to make something of myself. And I, I, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of talent in any other areas. I just wanted to build a big successful company 
and, there, and quite frankly, in the early days, because of ego, I just wanted, I, I, there was something inside of me that wanted to be the best in my industry. But then as I grew that to like 50 and 75 and 100 people, I realized that this business was no longer about me, it was about them. And that if I screwed it up, I was gonna screw up the livelihoods for a lot of people. And so that was the accountability. Yeah, I mean, I like making money, but also there was this irrational fanaticism just to build something great, build something lasting, and build something that, that created livelihoods for the people that work, worked with me. That was a lot of fun, and that kind of evolved over time. Um, that, that, that main like thrust that kind of got me through the highs and lows. So that's kind of how I hold myself accountable to get stuff done. Fast forward, you know, my second business, Green Pal, you know, we're seven years in, we're two, 300,000 customers use this platform, we're doing $20 million in revenue, got a big business. And I do have to rely on some of those tactical things that you just described. Uh, I rely on coaches, I have some consultants, I have some freelancers that I rely on that are almost like tripwires in front of me. Like I've got a, I've got a PR person that I pay $10,000 a month that if I don't have the stuff ready for her to execute, then, then she can't do what she needs to do. So I have put that in front of myself to execute on that one thing. So I think like at a macro level, to make it in business, you have to have like an irrational desire to build something that's great, but also at a tactical level, it can help to have coaches. It can help to have freelancers and, and consultants that you're working with that are specializing in certain things that you know you have to like collaborate with that can help unstick your business. So those two things, it's not, it's not or, it's and. Let's say someone wants to start mowing yards or landscaping company, or they want to start roofing or whatever it is. And they know what they want to do. They know how to do it. They want to work for themselves, but they just can't seem to get past what we kind of talked earlier, the planning stages or whether it's money, uh, what's your advice? What would your advice be to that yeah. boy, that girl that, yeah. that wants to get started, but they may not have the money or they may just then they may never be able to get really past that planning stage. Yeah. Great, great question. So, um, the, I don't have money and I don't have access to money excuse is all what trips a lot of people up that never to never get started. And so the reality is you can start a business like grass cutting, home cleaning, carpet cleaning, roofing, handyman service, uh, any of these types of service based businesses, you can start with no money. So that's not an excuse to get started. Uh, and you might say, well, I don't want to work in that kind of industry. I don't want to have that kind of business. I want to like, I want to start this uh, other kind of business that I need $10 million to do it. Well, the, the reality is, is that you might need to like cut your teeth on one of these other types of businesses first. Let, let's take five years and let's start the best damn carpet cleaning business in Nashville and get it to a million dollars in revenue and sell it. And then you can go start this other business that you need $5 million in capital for uh, to, and, and that you really want to do. And so a lot of times if you're looking at successful business owners and entrepreneurs and they're doing these big things and, and seemingly doing it in a few years, what you don't understand is most of the time that's over like a 20 year arc. That's over like a 20 year entrepreneurial journey. And you know, go back to the metaphor of levels of the video game. You can't start on level eight. You need to like cut your teeth on one of these more accessible businesses. And, and start debt-free, you don't, you know, yeah, nobody's gonna give you $10 million if you're a brand new entrepreneur, you've never done anything, but guess what? 
if you started a, a handyman service and, and you got it over 700,000 in revenue and a couple helpers, well, now you got a track record and you can actually sell that business if you do it right and, uh, and then reinvest those, those proceeds. And so a lot of times like the, the, the excuse of I don't have time or I don't have access to capital is what, is what gets people stuck. And then, and then, you know, a decade's going by, two decades going by and, 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 uh, and then, and then you're just stuck for life. So like, let that scare you, let that complacency scare you. And, uh, the time's going to pass like five years is going to go by 10 years is going to go by. You might as well spend it building something for yourself. Man. Do you think people get caught up on the passion thing? Like, so, so many people may say, I'll use myself as an example. When I first, uh, now we're in commercial roofing. And when I first was pitched the idea or, uh, it was mentioned to me that maybe I should do it. I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with it. I didn't think that I wanted to be in that industry, but now two years later, it's opened up every single door that I've, I've ever wanted to open in other areas that maybe even more along the passion idea. So I've often been really curious about the idea of working your passion or the idea of you kind of touched on it, maybe doing that carpet business until it allows you to do what it is you really want to do. So how important is that? And what do you advise, what would you advise people on if they say, well, I'm really passionate about this, but passion doesn't always seem to pay. Yeah. A lot of times your passion is not going to be able to pay your bills. You know, we're in Nashville. So everybody, you know, you've got 10,000 people a year moving here to make it in the music business because they're passionate about music. And the sad thing is 9,998 of them aren't going to make it. And so um, I think following your passion can lead you down the wrong path because a lot of times your passion isn't economically viable. I think you have to have a passion for success. You have to have a passion for winning and you have to have a passion for making something of yourself. And for me, like business is the vehicle that has worked for me to make something of myself. And so you have to be passionate about that. And yeah, you, nobody's gonna be passionate about cleaning carpet, but they might be passionate about retiring debt-free at 40 and, and building a new home for their, for their mother. Um, they might be passionate about buying their dad a new car or putting their nephew through school or they might be passionate about those things and the business is the vehicle to get there and that's what keeps you like executing through the dark times and and so yeah i think this generation of entrepreneurs like that over index on the passion and also quite you know like the manifestation and uh like somebody's gonna put them on i think that that's a trap you know at the end of the day the fundamentals of business haven't changed in a hundred years. And, and so a lot of times the, the execution gets glossed over and, and we over index on, on things like passion and it gets misplaced. I think the passion for winning and building something, whether small or big, whatever you, whatever it is you want to do, I, I think you have to have an irrational obsession and a passion for that goal. The business is just a vehicle, right? Now let's let's kind of touch on another side of that. As as entrepreneurs, we tend to, uh, you, I, I always say, you almost have to be a little bit crazy mm. in a way. Uh, and you mentioned it earlier about, you know, really believing, really wanting to be the best. And now more so than ever, you hear people say, "Well, that's not a healthy lifestyle, if you will, working seven days a week." 
where is the balance? Where does the balance lie in that making your business everything it can be and still taking care of your health maybe or your family? Uh, for me, I'm not married or anything, but let's say you're married and have wife and children. You know, what's the healthy boundary there? How did you navigate it? And Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an unpopular answer, the one I'm going to give, but I think the concept of work-life balance is like, in fact, this is a quote. Tom Brady said this. The concept of work-life balance is the crutch of the mediocre, is what he said. I didn't say it. I just like the quote. And I'm not, like, today, you know, I'm not working 100 hours a week, but the first three years of building Green Pal I was, and the first seven years of building my first business I was. Because a lot of times, you're working in the business, and you're working on the business. And so... You know, if you've got a roofing company, you know, you're working Monday through Friday in the business, getting crews together, ordering materials, uh, reaching out to customers, making everybody happy. But the reality is Saturday or Sunday, you need to come in the office and work on the business. What does my sales process look like? What is what are the what is the process for organizing uh, labor and like counting labor hours, understanding what what our margin is on labor hours look like. And how do I tune that better? And like working on the processes and routines that make your business run smoother, that's like a time that's like an activity as a business owner, it's high leverage, it's hard to find time to do. And so that's where like the quite frankly, like the Saturday or the Sunday comes in. So I think work life balance is 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 an illusion in the early years, maybe even the first five years of a business. Once you get it over a million in revenue or five million, then in a weird way, like a million dollar a year business is a lot easier to run than a hundred thousand dollar a year business. So you're gonna have to run hard and run really hard in the first few years of any business, unless you just get extremely lucky or some weird scenario. But but from the business owners that I know and have observed in my you know 20 years of building businesses, the first few years, it's going to be seven days a week to get them going. Then you can kind of pull back after you have your processes in place, and but usually it's not until after year three, four, or five. And then the other thing too is, is like a lot, of, a lot of your time is going to be spent learning. Like you don't know, like you know, if you're in the roofing industry, or you know, you, odds are you're going to have a lot of a lot of labor. So you got to be a good manager. You got to be a good leader. We're not born with these skills. You know, you got to go to a leadership conference. You got to read books from guys like John Maxwell and, and leadership gurus. Um, on top of all the other things, you got to be good. So you got to spend a lot of time, you know, investing in yourself. That's that's mm -hmm. kind of work too. So that might be that weekend that you you're finally off of the roof or the lawn, but you're you're now at a leadership conference. Exactly. How to better manage your team. Exactly. And that's that that's that stuff that is uh, important but not urgent. Where a lot of the gains are made, you know, we're dominated by the the urgent but not important, and that's how we run our day to day. But you need to like try to make time one day a week for the important, but it's not urgent. Okay, so so you mentioned something there that that I'm intrigued to to learn about. So there, this is a two two question part here. Why is it easier to run a business doing a million in revenue than a hundred thousand, and then also where is the hardest line of saying let's go from a million to five million or ten million? Mm. And what's keep what keeps companies stuck at maybe two or three million and then want to go to five or vice versa? But maybe first touch on why it's easier to run a business with a hundred with a million in revenue versus a hundred thousand. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the first, you know, uh, one of my favorite quotes is uh, a guy by the name of Charlie Munger, who's Warren Buffett's right-hand man. He says the first 100000 is a bitch. And it is in any business. You know, getting that first six figures is really, really, really hard. So you're just by any means necessary hustling that together. You're a door knocking, yeah, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I mean, you're calling every single lead back in less than five minutes because you want to close the deal. You're doing a lot of the work yourself. You know, I mean, whatever metaphor, whatever analogy you want to like cling to, like if you're running a carpet cleaning business, you are running the, the cleaner. And then you're also like doing estimates. Um, like for me, example, like when I was starting my first business uh, and I was going from one crew to two to three, I was, I was running my third crew and I was in the truck doing cold call sales while I was watching two guys mow, mow a yard. So I was managing them, but I was also making a hundred phone calls a day. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. It's really hard. I mean, it's, and that, you know, we were probably a few hundred thousand dollars in sales at the time. So that's one of the things that makes running that kind of small business hard. Also like, you know, just going from one to two employees or two to four, you're doubling your business. You know, you're, you're not going to go from 10 to 20 employees in a week, but you are going to go from one to two. So that's what makes that smaller business almost in a weird way harder to run than, than, the, than the million or even $10 million business. Because when, you, when you're at 10 million, you've got a sales guy or a gal, mm-hmm. you've got a sales team and you're not having to sit in the truck. Make you've delegated a par- right. portion of your job. Right. If you've yeah. done it right, Mm-hmm. Um, if you're at a million, you know, you're still the salesperson, mm-hmm. but at least you have maybe a crew foreman. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, at least you have technicians that are doing the, the physical work. And so in a weird way, the smaller business is harder to run. And, uh, and a lot of people get stuck there and they get stuck there and they, and they haven't really started a business. They've just made a job for themselves. And so there's a big difference between being self-employed and owning a business. Is that part of being getting caught up in, in a comfort zone of saying maybe you are doing that two hundred thousand a year and you're having to micromanage everything, but it's paying your bills, you're keeping the wife happy. Uh, is, is that where you then get stuck? Well, so it just depends on what you want. So I mean, you don't have to build a company. You don't have to build a ten million dollar company with twenty employees. You can you can build a five hundred thousand dollar business and, and stick two hundred fifty thousand dollars in your pocket every year. In fact, I know I know a guy that does that. He he uh, he makes he makes craft uh, uh, furniture, and you know what he does? He goes and he buys real estate, and he and he just his business is the engine to buy rental property, and he's and he's making himself financially independent through purchasing rental property, and he's he's going to retire by forty, like that's a great path to success. So you don't, he doesn't have to build a company with, with 50 people now. And it, so you kind of have to like back into it with what are your, what are your goals? Like what, what, you know, maybe it's, you want to have a take home of pay of a million dollars a year. Well, then you're going to have to build a pretty big business to do that. So you kind of have to like start off with your goals, understand what you're going to be satisfied with and then work backwards. For me, I always wanted to have a big company. I wanted to have a good personal income and I wanted to be able to do the things I wanted to do, travel to the places I wanted to travel, do the things for my family that I wanted to do, give my team opportunities. Uh, like those are the things that motivated me and I had to build a big business to do them. Mm-hmm. But you do see a lot of a lot of people, particularly in trades uh, like roofing, carpentry, what have you, they just, they've just made themselves a job. They haven't built a business. 
what keeps a company stuck at five million and they want to go to twenty? Is so, it is it does that come back on the leadership? It comes aspect? back to um, the proprietor, the owner, the entrepreneur really focusing on working on the business and not in it. So a lot of times, you know, if you're doing two or three million dollars, you're you're like as the business owner, you're a freaking Navy SEAL trying to hold it together every day. Like you are just adaptable. You're, you're, you're going solving problems in every which direction. And it's just organized chaos every day. I, I've been there. I've spent years of my life there. And if I really had just taken time to remove myself from all of that stuff and built a process and a system around every single thing I was doing every day, I could have done much faster what it took me 15 years to do. So a lot of times just removing yourself from the day to day grind of just holding it together and, and asking yourself, okay, why am I having to answer this customer's complaint? Why am I having to go meet this customer and fix a screw up that my team did? And asking that question five times, like asking why five times, okay, well, well I'm having to meet with this client who's spending $300,000 a year with us. They're, they're pissed. They're about to cancel. Well, why are they pissed? Well, because we didn't do this thing that we said what we would do. Well, why did we do it? Well, because the technician forgot to do it. Why did he forget to do it? Well, because he didn't have this checklist in place that we need to have when he's on site. And so then you start to understand like you have a process problem and you have to like get to the root cause of all of these things over and over and over again to, to build systems around you to where you can get to the next level. So that's like operationally. And then you, you start to look at like the sales process, like every like a $10 million business has got a successful sales engine at its core. It could be, you know, if it's, if it's B2B, you've got a good sales team. Uh, and they're, they're trained in your system and that takes a long time to, to figure out what works. But if you can bring in coaches, bring in consultants to help you hone that and identify that, these are the activities that get you from five to 10 to 20. Um, whereas what got you to five is probably just grit and hustle, mm -hmm. like just working as hard as you can, taking as care of as many customers as you can, outworking your competition, quite frankly. Um, but what gets you to 10, 20, 30 million dollars is, is processes, systems that are proprietary, quite frankly, that you have developed from experience and knowledge. And that takes time. What's the biggest challenge of managing a hundred man crew? Or where do you find that that can go wrong? How do you keep, I guess the better question is, how do you keep 150, 200 people motivated? Yeah. It, are you, are they seeing a part of you as a CEO, the president, whatever? Uh, on a daily basis, or how do you how do you keep the culture and the integrity of the company uh, to where everyone knows exactly what their role is and what to how to perform that? Yeah, it's hard, and um, it's hard at different types of businesses. So my first company was was a hundred hundred to hundred fifty laborers, you know, and managing that type of workforce is very different. Leading that type of workforce is very different than my company today, which is twenty three people who are more like highly skilled, they're engineers, they're designers, they're, they're content writers, they're marketers. So it's very different how, how I approach leadership in, in those two kind of, I guess, uh, seasons of my entrepreneurial journey. But to answer your question, when you have 50 people or 100 people, it's almost like this, this the right size business to create an incredible like tight-knit family um, that's very sticky that people want to come work for your company because it's fun. They don't want to work for the really small business because they don't have their craft together. 
They don't want to work for the company with a thousand employees because then they're just a number on a spreadsheet. But they can come to work for your company where they actually matter. You know their name and the boss knows their name. The main guy knows their name and the things that they do matter and they contribute to what the company's uh, purpose is. So that's almost like a really great spot to be in because it's not too big and it's not too small. So something that I, I did that made it a lot of fun was uh, as we were growing the company, we had a lot of, of immigrant workers, uh, guys from Guatemala, Mexico. And a thing that we did that was a lot of fun was that we would sponsor some sort of initiative on a, on a quarterly basis that they would bring to the company. So uh, what I mean by that is like, maybe you wanna uh, put a kid through college or maybe you wanna build a new house here or, or, or maybe you wanna build like, a, like something back home. Like we, we financed the construction of a uh, little soccer stadium in Guatemala one time. And then another time we, uh, we helped a guy uh, build a new house in Guatemala we helped another guy uh, put his daughter through school. And so like these were like interest-free loans that we would give to our people. And uh, it was the cheapest money we ever spent because we were able to like forge the purpose of the company as something that was just beyond grass cutting. It was like, it was, this is something that's bigger than each and every and one of us by ourselves, but together it's, it's something that is like, it's, it's that we're all part of it and it's something that's bigger than all of us. And so, the success of the company was then like aligned with, okay, well look at, you know, Javier just built this new uh, corner store in, in, in Mexico City. You know, we loaned him uh, $200,000 to get that off the ground. The company did, you guys did, you know, because mm -hmm. the company is yeah. yours. And so, you know, that, that was something that I kind of keyed in on um, in year 10. And so the last five years of growing that business, that was what made it a lot of fun. and. I had guys that worked for me for all 15 years of that company that started with me in year two that were with me until the, till like, till I sold it. The company's still around to this day. And so uh, that was a lot of fun. If you can key in on something that, like a purpose that, that, is, that is ties to everybody in the company, doesn't necessarily have to be roofing, um, and then make, it, make that the why of the company, that, that is something that really has legs and can stick around for a long time. That's amazing. If, if you were in my shoes or if you were giving me advice, I'm going to be a little selfish here for a minute and say we're right at the $2 million mark. What is something that you would advise me to, what's my next hurdle going to be? Yeah. Usually it's sales. So it's like we're at 2 million. How do we get to four? Um, most, that's the bottleneck in most of the business, most businesses. Like how do I get that phone to ring more? How do I get the bigger contracts? Sometimes not. Sometimes you just can't get can't get the work done. Like mm -hmm. so, in your personal example, is it there's work out there we just can't get we can't get it done, or is it we can get it done? I just need more work. Which is it? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Um, you know, and that can vary from month to month. Yeah. So say two months ago we were we were booked out eight weeks. Yeah. And and now we're not, but it's it's we're still pretty tight. But I could we could we could still you know. Eight weeks isn't terrible in this industry, yeah. meaning it wouldn't hurt to be booked out consistently eight weeks so we can take on more work, as well as there is help out there to bring in another crew if, yeah. if that was, uh, yeah. know, if the work was there. So yeah, definitely could use more sales. Uh, it's not like we're terribly hurting for that, but you can always use more. I so if you doubled sales next year, you could get the work done. That's not the problem. 
I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, yeah. I, I think it, you know there'd be have to be another project manager and things yeah. like that. But that there are people within the organization that that have that are qualified for that. Yeah. Role. Okay. Well, then that, that's that's good because you want to like really focus in on one side of the equation, and uh, in most cases it is sales. In most cases, I just need the phone to ring more. I need to like, I need to have a crack at bigger jobs, and so then you you attack that problem. How do I how do I grow top line revenue? And uh, so, so then you can, you can attack that from a different s- steps of the funnel. Like how do I get the phone to ring more or how do I close more deals? And you really just need to focus somewhere. And so uh, have you taken- So is that a step-by-step Step-by-step. Step. Let's, let's figure this part out yeah. instead of trying to tackle the whole- Absolutely. The whole pie chart. Because you only have so much time, bandwidth, and focus, and energy. Okay. So it's like if you look at it like a funnel, 100 people at the top of the funnel call. And out of those 100, we set up 10, sales meetings and out of those 10 sales meetings we get one so then where do you want to tap where do you want to where do you want to focus okay well probably the highest leverage point is of the 10 sales meetings we get when we close in one we really need to close five uh and and so why aren't we closing five well we're getting beat on price all the time well the reality is we're going to figure out a way to be a little little leaner a little tighter or it's not we're getting beat on price we don't have the reputation well okay we're not instilling that trust in our customer how do we how do we have a, the the quite frankly best sales product, sales presentation out of anybody in our market? And uh, one thing that can help you there is is to try to look at what other people are doing in bigger markets than you are. Uh, that's one thing I did building my first company. I would I would go to Chicago and I would try to meet with the largest landscaping company in that city. Really? Yeah. And this guy was running a forty million dollar a year business, and uh, he let me. He let me hang out with them for a week, and I would just look at their processes, look at their sales processes, look at uh, look at what they were doing, and I would learn that way. Why Chicago, though? If I can just stop it was, it, was, meaning- it was strictly uh, that was where the conference was for for my industry at that year. Okay, so it wasn't that you weren't trying to get kind of aggravate your competitors, maybe if you will, or whatever. Um, well, you know, still I was in Nashville, so he wasn't my competitor, mm-hmm. and so he had no problem. And I was a young guy. Uh, you had no problem helping somebody out, right. and, and you know you might get told no ten times on that deal, but you try need need to learn from somebody who's doing it big that you want to be doing, not in your market, and they will help you. Um, no, that's what I was saying. So it, it's important that it's not in your market. In other words, I think so. You, you don't want to. I'd hate yeah. to go to the biggest guy in Nashville and be yeah. like, "Hey, tell me what you're doing because what's in it?" For you, might, him? you might be surprised. Um, they may, but but uh, you know if you go to another market. It's even Atlanta, uh, you know, the roofing business is highly competitive. So is the landscaping business. Really, all businesses, but those are insanely competitive. Um, it would probably be an easier proposition just to go to a market where it's similar but far away, mm-hmm. and you know you're never going to butt heads. Now, it could be wrong. You know, you could approach the, the big dog in town in Nashville and say, hey, you know, I've been doing this five years, and I respect the hell out of what you're doing. I mean... I don't want to compete with you. We don't even compete over the same jobs. But I mean, can I like, can I just come visit with you for a few days and just try to learn from what you're doing? Um, you could be surprised. They could tell you to, to take a hike. Maybe not. But the good news is, is you're not inventing anything brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody else has already figured this out. You got to learn from that and do it a little bit better. You know, figure out what they're doing and do it a little bit better. And, and then work that process continuously making it better and better and better. That's how you're going to get to 5 million in revenue. Like looking at 
the funnel and attacking the sales funnel and figuring out where the best like leverage point is. And a lot of times it is at that like, okay, it could be, it could be from the hundred to the 10 though. It could be, you're just not calling these people back soon enough. Yeah. You know, and when I was starting my first business, we, we had a, a mantra was that same day return phone call for everybody, every sales lead. And if it was one we wanted, it was 24 hour turnaround on, on the proposal. Okay. Okay. So, so that was a place that we, we focused on. And, uh, so you, so it could, it's not always necessarily the close rate. It could be like the turnaround on phone call to proposal. You're slow and you're just, people are, are beating you to the punch. Yeah. So you kind of have to like look at that and not just attack it, but build the process and who's going to like who, what the role, like who has that role and what, and how you're going to measure that, you know, how they're, how they're, uh, performing. And it's, this is not something you can do in a week. You know, it might take you a year to get this figured right. out. But it's the it's it's how we do things here. It's our routine. It's our process. And this is how we beat our competition. So that may have answered the next question I was going to ask: Is how do you, as a especially a brick and mortar, stand out to to build that that uh, that funnel up or, or to be better or whatever? How do you stand out from the next guy? How did you do it? Was it was it just that simple to be maybe a little more efficient on getting your proposal time back, or maybe it was just figuring out what they're doing, doing it a little better? Yeah, is that the answer to that question? Um, so when you're first getting started, like you're going from zero to a hundred thousand, it's it's just taking on any kind of work you can get. So stick with the roofing analogy. Like it could be same day patching leaks. You call me, it doesn't matter. I will come out and patch that leak on the same day. Nobody else is going to do that. Mm -hmm. You do that for a year. Guess what? Now you've got forty. You got forty customer contacts, and you got you've got uh, you've got some name. You've got some 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 people that you can rely on for recommendations for your website, for your brochures. Now you have something. You can then build a sales process around. It's like okay, and guess what? That person's roof is going to wear out at some point. You know, so whatever, whatever you can do to hustle together, like what I call manufacturing the momentum in the early days, it's just sheer hustle. It's, it's level one of that video game. Then you get to level two, three, and now you're getting a crack at some of these, some of these re-roofing jobs. And, and, uh, now, now you're focusing on, okay, how do I get that phone to ring for more of this kind of stuff? Maybe I'm, maybe I might be making $10,000 a month and I'm reinvesting 4,000 a month in, and Facebook ads or Google ads or, 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 or whatever I can do to get that phone to ring. Now you're looking at the processes and now you're looking at, okay, this is how I close more deals. This is how I fix that funnel. But you don't need, you don't need to worry about any of that stuff. Day one, mm -hmm. level one. Uh, and that's what trips a lot of people up is they try to, they try to like es escalate too quickly. And, and quite frankly, they don't want to be that guy running around town, patching leaks uh, or doing the work nobody else wants to do. And they want they want to be the big dog. Start day one being the, the big right. dog in town. It doesn't just doesn't work that way. You got to right. cut your way in. Amen to that. That's what we had to do. Knock on. I knocked on so many doors. Hell yeah. Um, I actually I think I, I wasn't. I don't think our first six jobs came from door knocks. Hell yeah. And, and I'm talking commercial. This yeah. isn't residential. Yeah. This is a lot harder to close. Oh you yeah. Know? It takes. It's a more of a timely process. And you go in. You're standing in the lobby. Who are you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I just want to talk to the facilities manager yeah. while he's busy. Well, yeah. uh, here's my card. I'm going to come back next week. Hey, you nailed it. Okay, so you've had the brick and mortar and now you have the tech. Um, let's say someone is 
They don't know what they want to do. The brick and mortar is more of an unpopular way of doing it. Now tech is, is, is what everyone wants to do. Mm. What's the biggest thing that you would say you've learned from the transition from one to the other? Yeah, one is not necessarily better than the other. I think that gets... People tend to think one's easier than the other, I feel. Yeah. Like. I mean, the, the, it, the reality is it's a lot harder than it looks. And I, I mean, I, I didn't know what I didn't know starting the second business. And so, you know, fast forward, you know, sold Green Pal. I mean, I'm sorry, sold, sold Peachtree, my landscaping business, 2013. I retired. Um, I didn't have to work anymore. Very, very lucky. It was a good outcome. You were what, 30, 32, 32, yeah, yeah. 32 so years old, retired. Yeah. Wow. And it, and it was a good feeling, but you know, I just wanted to get back in the game. I quite frankly got bored. And so I saw what Uber and Airbnb were doing for for ride sharing. I saw what, um, what Airbnb was doing for accommodations. And, and, uh, I was like, okay, this, some, some kind of app needs to exist for what I just spent 15 years of my life doing. And I thought, okay, well, Here's what I thought. I thought, okay, well, well, we'll just we'll pay a development shop in Nashville to build this app, and then we'll just market it, and we'll we'll just be off and running. And so that's what we did. I recruited two co-founders, and we spent a hundred and fifty thousand dollars with a dev agency here in, in uh, Nashville to build the first version of GreenPal, and it was a total flop. It was a total failure. Um, nobody could use it. It was hard to use, and. Uh, we did get a few hundred people to try it out um, just by passing out door hangers all over Nashville, my two co-founders and I. We needed to get people to try this thing so we could like even validate if this was a good idea. And so here I am, you know, uh, I had this big, big successful company, big exit, and now I'm passing out door, door hangers. Starting <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah, start all Starting over. Starting over. Start all over again. Because I didn't want to, I, 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 I didn't, I locked all of the, the proceeds down in investments selling that first company. So I didn't want to pour like a hundred thousand or a million dollars into this business. Mm -hmm. And so hustling again from scratch, cause I knew I never wanted to pick up a weed eater ever again. <laughs> I, I had done that. I didn't ever want to go backwards. I didn't want to go backwards. So, so this new business had to like, it had to become successful on its own. And uh, we just, we passed out door hangers to get a few hundred people to use it. Met with as many of those as we could. We started realizing, holy crap, if we think that we're going to build a tech company, we got to learn how to build tech. Because, yeah, we have a little something, but there's so much more left to be done with it. And, and, and so we had to trash that first version. We, we pissed away 150 grand. And this was on credit cards and, you know, scratching together some money. It was, it was sad. But uh, we had enough validation to keep going. And so then we had to teach ourselves how to write code, how to design software, how to distribute software. And it was, it took three years to learn these skills as we built the second version. So it was a very, very, very hard fight uh, building the company while learning the skills, how to build the company. And it was, it was an exercise of faith. Um, we, we won, we, we didn't win yet, you know, but, but we're doing well and the way we've done well is just by not giving up. Yeah. Um, we just stuck with it again. Like I was working on my best idea. I didn't have any other better ideas. I knew I was going to be working on something. This is what I'm working on. And, uh, now we're seven years in, we're going to do $20 million in revenue this year or a seven year overnight success. Wow. That's incredible. Okay. Well, I got two more questions. Um, then we'll let you get out of here. But if you had five minutes to speak to the entire world, 
and you were given a platform, a stage, uh, everyone's listening, every country, and you don't have to take five minutes here, but what is, what is something that you feel uh, the world needs to hear? What would you say? Well, that's tough because entrepreneurship means many different things in the world. Um, and, and you know, you travel the world, you go to places where entrepreneurship is not as accessible as it is here in, in America. So we're, we're very lucky. For me, like business is my purpose. And so I think, I think a lot of us, like a lot of psychologists would tell you that, you know, everybody is seeking pleasure for happiness. And the reality is, I think people are seeking purpose. And so for me, my businesses are my purpose. They, they are the thing that gives me purpose. Like, and that's one of the beautiful things about business. And so what gets me out of bed, what keeps me grinding on, on the company that I'm working on now is like, I ask myself if it weren't me, if it weren't for me X, like if it weren't for me, then what? Well, if it weren't for me, then these 20 people wouldn't have a job. And, and on our platform now, like over 10,000 service providers use our technology to make their livelihood. Like that's my why. Like wow. if it weren't for me, these people wouldn't have access to this platform to pay their bills. And so that that's what gets me out of bed. Try to really understand, yeah, I mean, like passion and purpose, these words get thrown around a lot, but I think purpose is where joy comes from. And, and business can be the vehicle to figuring out what that is and, and to really bring purpose to your life. That's awesome. That's a great answer. If you could ask any one person, alive or dead, one question, who would it be and what would the question be? Ooh, maybe I would ask Elon Musk if he ever thought that he would get as far on these crazy ass ideas that he has gotten. Like he wants to die on Mars, but not on impact. <laughs> that's, his, that's his one guiding true north. As he said that, I want to die on Mars, but not on impact. And like, he said he has said that for like 25 years. And I, I guess I would ask him like, were you full? What did you think you were full of crap? Cause it looks like, I mean, you might make it. And so like, that's, that's a dude that I just look at with just such an admiration. Uh, so I, that, that might be what I, that, that I would probably burn that question on asking Elon Musk something. And that might, that might be what I ask him. Hey, it's a, I think that's a question we could all use the answer to. Uh, well, Brian, I just want to acknowledge you for coming on and sharing your time, your wisdom. Uh, I, I, didn't really know you prior to this, but I hope that we can keep this relationship on. I mean, you, you've, uh, you've definitely inspired me. I think you've done what a lot of people want to do, but don't have the drive or the ambition to do. Um, and you've created, you've created, you're basically the Elon Musk of uh, lawn care. <laughs> you've created I'll, something that was not there before. I'll take it. <laughs> so, how can people support you, find you, follow you? Um, if, you know, you have Green Pal. Yeah, yeah. So uh, anybody so, listening to this, that you know, life's too short to cut your own grass, so you can just download <laughs> Green Pal in the App Store, get hooked up with a great lawn mowing service. And That's listen. Green Pal. Yeah, Green Pal. Yeah. And the app, yeah, yeah, yeah. Green like the color, Pal like your pal. Uh, and uh, you download it in the Play Store or App Store and get hooked up with a good lawn mowing company in less than a minute. And anybody wants to get at me, you can follow me on LinkedIn uh, or Instagram, Brian M. Clayton. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, this has been really good. So thanks hey, a lot for the time. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thanks again for tuning in to The Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy, life gets busy, and we all 
kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up, but there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at EphraimGlick.com. See you next time.